0: I'm having fun uh, going through all of my old notes and figuring out what page, what page the PDF is, and what page the uh, uh, the book is on. So anyway, I'm trying to stay up to date. So we had, uh, we are in lesson uh, 24. Um, we've gone through the first three questions. We'd arrived at the at the fourth question. Um, question three was. Why is there failure, for the most part, to keep the unity of the spirit today? To sort of put it together, maybe have it make some sense. Now the first question was to distinguish between the unity of the body and the unity of the spirit. Do you, do you remember what we talked about? What, what is the unity of the body? It's
1: linked with Christ and live with one another.
0: Okay, and then what's the, the unity of the Spirit? Thank you. Notice the yes. right out said a couple of things. By the, uh, It is by the Spirit that the reality of divine things are brought home to us. Without Him, all the precious facts of the Church as the body of Christ with its various members and their functions would be meaningless and inoperative. I think a lot of times we don't realize that um, all of the functions, including the entire body of Christ, functions based on the person and work and the power of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes think that, well, I'm supposed to be in there and jabbing and doing my thing and there's a dependency on the spirit so right says thus the unity of the body is a divine fact but without the unity of the spirit it would have no power in our lives and there would be no testimony to its truth I guess from a standpoint of uh, what we've been sort of looking around for for the last three, three plus years um, for uh, some additional uh, men to join us in the leadership of the church. You know, Roger and I, I think, a couple of years ago came to the conclusion, well, the Holy Spirit's going to have to do this. You know? So uh, we, we trust him for that. And sometimes you don't see any road signs that he's doing his thing, but he is. And uh, so Bob is going to be the new pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I just got the timeout signal from like Bob. Just had a seizure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so
0: and then he and then we talked about what's the practical unity produced by the Spirit in the people of God. It is uh, Holy Spirit among the people of God. It's when. He, the spirit, is permitted to impress the truth of the one body upon us and to lead us to act in accordance with divine principles. I think that's a really great answer. So then the the question, why is there failure to keep the unity of the spirit? Why is there failure? Remember? He quoted one verse that is so applicable from... uh, from the Old Testament, and that's where we're going to start today. What was the verse, remember? The verse is, out of Judges, question four says, what Old Testament verse does the author quote to show how men decide what is right?
1: That everyone does what is right in his own eyes.
0: Yeah, or everyone does what is right in his own eyes. So what's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Chapter
1: and verse, I couldn't find it, but I knew. Can't verse. find it? I couldn't find it in Judges, but I don't know the chapter and verse.
0: I don't have it either. I'll have to look it up. Because <laughs> I, think, I think a write just refers to it as Judges. Yeah. Right? What's wrong with that uh, statement? What's wrong with me living my life based on what I think is right in my own eyes?
1: <laughs> you don't belong to yourself. You belong I don't? To Christ,
0: I belong to Christ. So what does that mean in terms of, can't I just assume that what I'm thinking is Christ is directing me in the way that I should go? We can't set the standard for our own righteousness at all. Uh, yeah, that's a good answer. Everybody hear that? Yes. On Zoom? Judges 17.6 yeah you you the, the and and it's interesting as you begin to enter into the understanding what was the verse
1: judges seventeen
0: six judges seventeen six you got that mrs wilson okay <laughs> um, what's wrong uh i mean it's, we get up in the morning, we spend time with the Lord, we have quiet time or devotions, whatever you call them. Sometime during the day, maybe you read your Bible or you study the questions because you don't want to look like a dummy on Sunday, uh, whatever, and you spend time in God's Word and so you begin to assume that what's going through my mind is probably okay. So I'm going to live my life based on what I think is right. What's wrong with that? Tells us the truth, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand it. Okay. That's a great answer. It's exactly right, because a lot of times I think when we determine that some sort of behavior is okay with us, the Spirit of God will say, no, you probably shouldn't be doing that, not because it's sinful. It just takes away from the time with the Lord or it takes away from something that he has directed you to do. You see that? Because uh, uh, Donna and I had a conversation this week uh, uh, out of First John. The, uh, the verse is the pride of life. How's that verse go, Donna? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's another one that you think. Well, what's wrong with that? Lust means a strong desire, a strong desire of my what I what I see, and the strong desire of what my flesh wants. And what's wrong with pride of life? Somewhere it's got to be in the constitution yeah. somewhere. What's that? It's American. It's American. That's right. <laughs> I'm an American. <laughs> So it's interesting that we have this uh, sin nature, and it's deceptive, and it tries to persuade us that a lot of things that we do that don't apparently aren't. I mean, we're not killing anybody, not shooting anybody, we're not stealing anything. So what's wrong with my desires? What's my what's wrong with my desire to be well?
1: Anything from the flesh is against the spirit. Mm -hmm. So whatever the distraction is in the flesh is taking us away from things of the Spirit, things of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So the flesh's only purpose is to drive us away or distract us or do whatever. So whatever, you know, feeling good about ourselves, what's the focus? Ourselves. And the flesh is totally against the Spirit. We see that in Scripture. And that's all, whatever's out of the flesh is trying to push us away or distract us from the unity we have with the Lord and the Spirit.
0: I don't think we've grasped the idea, at least early on in our Christian life, that this sin nature that we have, this flesh that we have, is one hundred percent opposed to what God has desired for us to be as human beings.
1: Well that it never Paul, lines up with what God's forb provision ever. That's that's, you know, Paul in Romans seven There is nothing good that dwells in my flesh. Nothing.
0: And so you wonder why sometimes spiritual growth takes so long. Well, a big part of growing spiritually is to understand what the flesh is all about and be able to reject it and it presents itself.
2: Well, couldn't you say that the Holy Spirit's the only one that can show some of those? Exactly right. Details?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that that's really right, and I think part of that, you know, was somebody. I better not mention the name of the church, but somebody told me about a church in Denver that they're all excited about, and so I I couldn't resist. I went to their website and looked at it, you know, and it's a big growing church now. has two churches and working on three, and very interesting in reading what we believe in. <laughs> And what we teach, it's all fleshly. It's taking God's word and modifying it so it makes you feel good. And uh, I was just amazed. That, well, I shouldn't be amazed that a church like that grows. I mean, it must have a couple thousand people by now, or three maybe. And the reason is, is that the whole thing is geared They take God's word and his idea of the church and worship and appeal to man's flesh it's all good it's all good
2: but it is not the lord mm-hmm. so okay
1: like that's also like when we say about going to any christian bookstore oh. it's all it's all about <laughs> what we can do or what uh, our efforts and our 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 our, our yeah. You know, it's everything focused on basically fleshly responses to sure. how we we ourselves can do things, what we can do. No. And it's not focused on the Lord. So it's I it's not If you
2: want to be happy,
1: <laughs> not in the flesh. Sure. <laughs> but I mean that's why I mean that's why I think that church can grow so much cuz the feeding out there is mainly towards, you know, self and self-helps and you know, feeling, feelings, feeling good.
0: That's exactly right. And and the the thing is, is that all the sheep are hungry because the flesh is never satisfied. There's a searching going on all the time for something to satisfy me. They don't know, recognize that me is the flesh. You know, and pour a little holy water on it, and now it's good flesh. <laughs> uh, okay, question five. Unquote, but we are equally shocked by a deliberate and pervasive, persistent ignoring of the unity of the Spirit. What is your reaction to this question in the text? It's on page 124. Of this book, page fifty-four in the text or in the PDF, so it says the, says the conscience of the conscience of the saint is shocked, and rightly so, at any moral delinquency or any lapse into fleshly ways. Here's the kicker: measured by ordinary standards. So, give me an example of an ordinary standard. What's an, How would you judge a moral delinquency based on an ordinary standard? Um, I think ordinary would refer to uh, f- fleshly.
2: So, what would it be example of ordinary when you raise a culture, it'd be to that. You know, I've got a standard mm-hmm. for being nice. Um, I think certain churches you have certain standards, expectations that are set. And that they might offer that mm-hmm. you might operate with those standards that fit mm-hmm. you know, well with the audience and Sure.
0: Is that your job? Is that your... The nomination? The nomination.
2: Is that you to? Yeah, or, yeah. We
0: get standards from everything. Yes, we do.
2: You.
0: They they do compete. I I, I I don't know this guy's name, but I, you guys you guys ever watched the series Justified? Remember when I was really popular? Well, there was an actor in there that was a villain. And he's really a good actor, and he's got these piercing eyes, you know, so when he looks at you like he's going to kill you, you believe him, right? (laughs) Well, it turns out that before Justified, before he got that role, that he said to the people in Hollywood, well, I'm a Catholic, and I'm not going to kiss somebody else's. I'm not going to kiss another woman. I only kiss my wife. So they blackballed him. Okay what the heck is this guy's name? And I, I always thought he was a Christian until I read that he was a Catholic. He may or may not be a Christian. But now he's back in grace again. He plays a great villain. Uh, and I thought I thought when I was reading in the article, there's a standard that he set for himself Then I don't know if Catholicism set it that standard for him or not because there are a lot of those Catholics who are just, you know, they have no standards at all. Is that a biblical standard? First of all, I would question him as to what are you doing being an actor to start with. <laughs> so, what, what a sleazy profession that is, uh, you know. And uh, how do you me- how do you measure what's good and evil, or what's acceptable or not acceptable, or what what is a standard? CNN. There you go, or the Motion Picture Academy, Uh and their rating rating procedure. So how do you measure? You know what's interesting? We all come from that tree in the Garden of Eden. What was the name of that tree? The knowledge of good and evil. We have it in our minds when we're first saved that really what happened is that we move on the left side, Notice how I picked left. On the left side were all the evil branches, and on the right side were all the good ones. And so we're going to make this little journey across the tree to the good good branches, right? What we didn't realize was that God took us out of the tree, took us down the path in the garden, and put us in another tree called the tree of life. And that tree of life doesn't have good and evil standards. It just has holiness, and holiness is a much different thing than good and evil. You see that? How we behave and how we operate is not based on good and evil. It's based on whether it's the holiness aligns with the holiness of God or not. See? So, anyway, I think that that's. <laughs> write out to say, but we're equally shocked by a deliberate and persistent ignoring of the unity of the spirit. Are we? If the unity of the spirit in your body of believers begins to be ignored, are you shocked by that? You didn't even know what was going on. How can you be shocked about it? the Blessed One bears patient witness to the oneness of the church, its heavenly and separate character, its divinely provided order, and saints of God established churches. Devise order and choose methods according to their own devising. Is that an endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, he asked. Let me give you another good example. You remember when we were first studying First Corinthians? And there was disruption in the body, and there was, uh, you know, there were uh, schools of, of well, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of what, whoever, and there was immorality and all these other things, and there was an attempt uh, by the Christians in uh, Corinth to fix those problems by creating clergy. We'll get some guys in there who will put the hammer down on these guys and get them all lined up going in the same direction. Is that? Could you say that having clergy around is a unity of the spirit? What do you think? In other words, we're going to go through our group. We've got these guys over here that aren't demonstrating unity of the spirit, so we're going to fix it. We're going to take a couple of guys out of this group. We're going to, you know, give them one of these, give them a, a badge that says, I'm in charge, and they're going to go fix it. What's wrong with that? We're all, we're all used to clergy. Every denomination has it. What's wrong with that? What's the problem with that is, is whose church is this body of believer? Who's it belong to? the Holy Spirit, right? And he's the one that determines, and he's the one that fixes problems, and he's the one that does everything. And it's difficult for us, I think, as believers, and that's why it's a really interesting section right here. It's difficult for us to d- depend on him and to trust him, because it's his church. It's
1: a spiritual body. Not an well, I, you know, I wonder about that, though. Um, he specifically lays out in the church elders and deacons to administer to the body yeah. in a local local right so I mean there you can't throw out everybody with that because it was established to be elders and deacons to, to right. you know set up the local body and to watch over and to grow and to you know mentor and and that so right. i mean it, it, it all cl- clergy if you call it clergy yeah. is not bad at you know multiple you're not supposed to have just one elder but at least plurals you know right. elders right. um so is, there are some things that are laid out for administration
0: mm-hmm. so and how do you pick elders
1: actually <laughs> the spirit picks them actually yeah it, you're you're led by the spirit That's if right. if you
0: the Lord raises them up and you see them
1: yeah you know I mean yeah I mean if you're picking somebody if they don't have the the desire to do it they'll never survive I That's think right.
0: well and, and and they will just in their lifestyle demonstrate that God and you can say you can see it God said look I, I want this person and I want that person and just because you were you're a school teacher by profession doesn't mean you get to teach Sunday school
1: well and also I think too, if <laughs> there could be a, I guess we've seen this. Uh, the improper motive—you want the title of the job, and you want right. that you want job. You want the job. Right. That that that's not good. Right. I mean, it's for self at that point. Uh-huh.
0: I think the only guys in the Bible that had the right to, you know, install people like that were the apostles, the apostles. and they're a special group of guys. You know, they. <laughs> They had uh, power and insight into things that few men ever have had. Those those twelve guys did. So you know, and you you read First and Second Timothy, and you see how much time and and uh, effort Paul spends with Timothy to prepare him for. Well, when Paul left, he was going to hand over the mantle to him, and uh, he was. Um, timid timothy was a good answer for his, a good name for him because he was reluctant and he was you know going to be the head of the church at ephesus was the head of the church at ephesus so he was a reluctant leader but paul recognized that he was the one that god had chosen and so he spent time with him and, and he spent time with the elders in all of those churches because he equip them so that they could equip the saints because everything that happens according to Ephesians is is within our body every person here is equipped for what reason why are why are you equipped to edify the body and everybody's involved in that process everybody is there's, you know, there's plenty of people in our body of believers that edifies me all the time and helps me, and I don't, you know, just say something or suggest something or I told you a couple of weeks ago, a guy called me one day in the middle of the afternoon. He said, you doing okay. I said, I'm doing great. He said, I just was praying for you. I don't know why, but I just was. I said, well, thanks very much, and I hung up. It's really cool, you know. Um... I didn't ask him why he was praying for me other than he said, I just thought about you and thought I should be praying for you. He edified me. You know, it didn't take a spiritual gifted man to do that. He just was praying for me. You know? so. Okay, any questions? All right, question six, which is the last question. In 1 Corinthians 9.13, and an example is given. What does the author say? The evil is the evil of sectarianism. So, somebody who can read really good, read 1 Corinthians 9 through 13. It's four, four verses. And there can be one of you guys that are on the uh, Zoom, too. We can hear you just fine.
2: Nine through 13 please. that you all agree, and that there be no among complete in the same line. We can't hear that.
0: Wait a minute. Hold on. You're
1: hear it twice. The red light. You on. Got you on now. Are we good? You hear him now. Sorry, I'm not used to this. <laughs> Okay, God is faithful. Yes. Through God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this: that each each one of you is saying, "I am of Paul," and "I am I of Apollos." and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Christ Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Okay.
0: So what do you have here? You have, according to write out, you have a failure to keep the unity of the Spirit. Okay? So uh, write down in your never-to-be-forgotten notes, how to identify failure to keep the unity of the spirit or sectarianism. This is the, These are the verses that lay it out. Now, out does a pretty cool thing. He has three uh, areas that he's concerned about. The first one is, in writing to the assembly of Corinth as representing the entire church, the, the apostle uses unequivocal language as, as to its oneness. He uses unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does sanctified in Christ Jesus mean? <coughs> sanctified. What's that mean? Set apart. set apart. So he says you are uniquely set apart in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's, that's your standing. Called to be saints or called Saints. What are saints, sent-apart ones, okay, with all and every place who call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So the first thing that Paul does is he talks about the unity of being a member of the body of Christ, that you're all one in him. And it doesn't matter if you live in Corinth or Ephesus or Denver, You're a member of the body of Christ. You've been set apart by God, exclusively and sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're a saint. Okay? That is, the church of God is one composed of all who are in Christ, saints by their calling, including all such in every place. So you're walking down the street in Lubbock, Texas and you run into a fellow believer. Are you one with him? Absolutely you are. Or you're uh I don't know, in Nebraska. Well I'm <laughs> <laughs> Well, or how about Manhattan? <laughs> yeah, that the point that Paul is making is that look at the unity the spiritual unity of every member of the body of Christ. And I look around the room, and you, uh, you look around the room, and you look at me, we're one. We're one. Closer than if you, we were married. So I'm talking to the ladies now. Do you understand that? The oneness in Christ is a closer relationship than a a marriage outside of Christ. You see that? Okay. Next one. He says, next he dwells at the beginning of the passage we have quoted upon, the faithfulness of God, by whom they had been called into his or this holy fellowship, and who would preserve them to the end. So not only are we one, but we've been called into the faithful fellowship and God is the one that's gonna preserve us to the end. He's gonna do it. You don't have to do it. He's gonna do it. This is a great comfort in the midst of a, a bounding unfaithfulness of man to God because God never fails. If it was up to all of us, we'd all be down at watching some movie on Sunday morning or going to some sporting event or just hanging around. The apostle, Paul had learned from credible source that sad state of the contention existing among the, them, and that was far from keeping the unity of the spirit. By being perfectly joined together in the same mind and same judgment. So, are you all of the same mind that I am? And do I have the same judgment that you have? What do you think? First of all, same mind about what? What's the subject here? It's the unity of the spirit. Do we have the same mind about the unity of the spirit? We have the same judgment about the unity of the spirit. Do we or don't we? What do you think? We should have. We definitely should have. We should know what it is. And we should know how it functions. And we we should be involved in the keeping of it. How do you keep how do you get involved in the keeping, of, <laughs> the keeping of the unity of the spirit? How do you do that? There you go. And how do I find out about that mind? God's word. Sure. Um, when you don't have the same mind and you don't have the same judgment, what do you have? You have a threatened You have a threat to division, right? Now, is it a denominational threat? Is it a doctrinal threat? Um, What do you think? Is it a political threat? What do you think? Are the questions too hard? I'll make them easier? (laughs) Uh,
1: It it can be any and all things. Anything that keeps our focus off Christ breaks the unity. You know, whether it's yeah, political, denominational, anything that takes the focus off. It's it's like Mm -hmm. you're saying it. You know, in a marriage, if Mm -hmm. the focus is off Christ, the marriage suffers. Because mm-hmm. the fo- the commonality of the the focus go. is gone. That's
0: a that's a really good example, I think. Yeah, yeah. The marriage triangle. You know, if you're focused on your spouse, you have problems. If you're focused on the Lord Jesus, that unity shows up. Okay. Um, I think, in contempor- uh, contemporarily today, that the, the lack of unity in the body of Christ is either denominational or political. It's one of those two things, you know. And 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 what does politics have to do with the body of Christ? When you get to heaven, there's going to be Republicans and Democrats and people in the middle who don't care.
1: I think, I think it's even beyond just political and denominational. I think it's just not teaching according to the word Mm -hmm. you know I think Mm -hmm. it's just that you know it's more self focused or whatever it's just not teaching according to God's word Mm -hmm. that's I think what creates the division and and the flesh feeds on that I agree so and the flesh loves division the flesh loves to be taken away so it's you know it can be political it can be denominational but I think it's just not teaching where you know you were saying teaching about, or I, I find a lot, a lot of bigger churches are you know uh, more feelings and more you know visual and this and that and, and just yeah, and you can hide out in a big group, you know. Here we were just talking about somebody about that that they can go and you know go in and out and not ever be noticed, yeah. and you know the the individual teaching. Maybe we talked about that last week about a large church versus a smaller one that you you don't have the ability to mentor or to teach or whatever. And yeah. so so again, I think just expanding. I don't think it's just political or denominational. It's just not teaching accurately to the Word of God.
0: You made you made a really cool statement of it. if I turned it around, can the flesh feed on the Word of God? No, can't do it. That's really it. And I was going to say, just to add, to, I think when it comes to that and kind of sectioning off stuff like that, whether it be political or denominational, I think it does go back to that ordinary standards thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's all at that point how y'all were just saying it's more a personal effort or like that Mm feel-good state where people want to do whatever they and their group agree with, how they feel, make them feel better, as opposed to – keeping the tie, the unity of the Spirit, for right. sure. It's all just our human, ordinary standards as opposed to what we should be focused on. Right, right the last principle, and I just noticed we're run out of time, is that he then goes into detail. Corinth and all the Greek cities were where philosophy had sway. That was their big deal. Was familiar with various schools of thought, each with its special leader And his followers would say, I'm of the one, and I'm of that one. Now the saints had transferred this human state of things into the church of Christ and were arraying themselves under certain leaders, thus forming parties and sects. Whether they made use of the honored name of Paul, Apollos, Cephas, against their will or without their knowledge, or whether the apostle added these names by way of illustration— doesn't affect the point. That was the problem there. That was the problem. And, you know, it's interesting how we may not have a a particular philosopher that we would aspire to, yet uh, we do have secular people that we appreciate their opinion more than somebody else, you know. I used to say all the time that Rush Limbaugh was not the fourth member of the Trinity. But so many Christians aspired to his philosophy that he really was a false teacher for a believer. He really was. Yet I think he saved. He said at the end of his life that his Savior was Jesus Christ. Good for him. That was the only thing that counted. The rest of it was just language.
1: Well, and I think think the, the point being, too, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Paul and Apollos. They're great teachers. I think the same as today. If you put any any value or trust or reliability on a human, you're, you're guaranteed to fail. Mm-hmm. No matter how good of a teacher they are. You, you, you rely on the word, not the person.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think I, that's I the point him. of this is that no matter how good they are, Paul obviously yeah. gives us all about, you know, who we are in Christ. Yeah. If we say we're of Paul, it, it's wrong, and and or any teacher today, you know, uh, whoever you know is the teacher or de say, jour.
0: Or if you say I'm of Jesus, well, the problem is with that statement is God gave certain revelations to Paul that he never talked about. So uh, the, the idea of the church and the unity and the spirit and and, and co-crucifixion de- of death, burial, and resurrection. All of that was Paul. The Lord Jesus didn't talk about that. So, well, does that make Jesus better or to be followed? Or, or Paul better to be followed? No. It's the Spirit of God who reveals what his word is to us so that we become unified in, in the Spirit. Okay. You've got to shut down because the musicians need to go sing. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, how we thank you today for spend it, that we get to spend this time understanding your word and growing in your son and recognizing uh, the unity of the spirit is a really important aspect of our, as, of uh, us as believers unified in the body of Christ. We thank you. We pray in his name. Amen.